Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Studios in Dublin City. Welcome to Motherfucklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dark O'Shea. You might know me from such Twitter accounts as at the Irish Forum. I'm joined today by Claudia McGinley. Hello. How are you getting on today? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm <laughs> just about surviving. <laughs> Claude has been kind enough to offer time today to talk about the difference between learning Irish in school and studying Irish at university. I have indeed. So, Claude, this is might astonish you, but I heard some people don't like doing Irish in school. Shock horror. Yeah, no, it's not very popular. Not very popular. Don't know if you can tell. <laughs> I, I have no idea where that possibly could have happened. Was yeah. it popular in your school? Not in the slightest. Not <gasps> even a tiny bit. I know. No, it's just, it's one of those things where there's this perception that it's this awful kind of like weight that will pull you down all the way through school and you have to learn all these horrible verbs all these horrible things that don't exist in the English language like the Tishalginadoc all these things I know Tishalginadoc the demon (laughs) (laughs) and yeah it's not very popular and I think that really does it carries across the board all the way through primary and secondary school It's funny though because what I found and I mean I'm I'm a bit older than you I went to school in the 90s Mm -hmm. probably when you were being born (laughs) (laughs) And, 95. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're actually you're actually born after Peg was taken off the school syllabus. Okay, yeah. And I have generally found that whenever people are giving out about the Irish language in the media, they tend to be my age or older. They usually experience Peg in school. And also they didn't have Tiji Gaharan when they were growing up. So I think even though you know, it sounds like some of your classmates didn't actually appreciate some of these wonderful things, but they were spared Peg. They were, but we were also... I wouldn't say forced, but we were definitely, well, I guess we were forced actually to study on Thrill and all of these things too, which are not necessarily bad works in and of themselves. I really enjoyed them, but they are still very heavy pieces of literature. Mm-hmm. And there's that assumption that once you hit fifth and sixth year, you'll be able to understand all these things and have a decent enough level of Irish and a decent enough level of fluency to be able to communicate your ideas and your thoughts about them effectively and that just isn't the case unfortunately. In general though I think there's much better response to Untreal than certain other Irish language mm. texts. I mean it actually is a, it's not awful whereas we had a we had a story when we were in school called Anthukas Achtarnach which is about the it was a terrible rip off of 1984. Okay yeah. Except it was the idea that everyone was assigned a sort of a number at birth and they had to only marry the person with the corresponding number and everything was you know, this this hellish bureaucracy. That almost sounds like, um, you know, Margaret Atwood, Handmaid's Tale. It sounds a little bit like that. It wasn't nearly as uh, insightful as (laughs) Handmaid's Tale, not even close, or as gripping. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You survived. Then also, something that is very big now that didn't happen to me in school was Schroffictor. Oh, 
Yes, those lovely, lovely things. And they're always, the stories as well in them are always the most ridiculous things. Like, I mean... Tell us for some of the older listeners, tell us what these are. A Shroff Victoria, it's a, basically, it's a picture set where mm. you have to learn off a certain amount of captions or a certain kind of a plot line to each set of pictures. And the way it works is that you're kind of judged on your level of vocabulary, your level of fluency and everything else and your ability to not read off a page, basically, which you're not okay. allowed to do in the exam, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's a pointless, it's meant, it's devised to allow for more marks to be given in the exam because the idea is that you learn it off before you go in and then recite it and you get X number of marks more. But to be honest, it doesn't work that way because they're really bad stories a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and there's no real incentive to actually learn it off. Sean trying to get his U2 tickets and things like that, is it? Yes, oh my God. And then Moira leaving her chip pan on after, like she leaves the chip pan on then goes to the disco and then comes back and lo and behold, the house is on fire and it's just, I feel like that definitely was one if I remember correctly. Like it's just, it doesn't exist in this day and age either. Imagine if that actually happened to you. Imagine (laughs) if you were in a real life traffic. (laughs) And I imagine that Moira was meant to be kind of around our age group, which would imply Mm -hmm. that she was, say, 17 plus, which would then imply that, you know, she might have been pre-drinking before I said disco. Mm -hmm. Who puts on chips in the middle of pre-drinks and then goes out (laughs) and like Mm. enjoys their night and comes back? Oven chips. It's oven chips you want to have your pre-drinking. True. The, um... The classic music video "Take on Me" by Aha predicted mm-hmm. Strophic tour. They did. Come to think of it, actually, they did. That is a very good point. But Aha and "Take on Me" are far better. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So tell me this now: what you obviously did wonderfully in Irish school, and wonderfully enough okay. to be accepted into the University of Dublin at Trinity College. Mm-hmm. I did indeed. And you chose to do even more Irish. I did. I chose modern Irish as opposed to early Irish, which is a little Mm. bit different. Modern Irish focuses a lot more on modern Irish, obviously, as in the Irish that we would use today and the Irish used in the media and all those kinds of things. Um, But yeah, no, to be fair, I would actually say that the Irish department in my college in Trinity were really, really good and they tried to really modernise the course as it went on. So particularly in third year, we would have done things like translation of... The Constitution, I think we did, maybe. Maybe not the Constitution, but it was definitely kind of political text. So say if you wanted to go on and work in the EU, that was very helpful or things like that. And then there's a very active come and go luck in Trinity as well. So in that sense, there was a far more positive mindset in college, I think, in general towards Irish because it's much more about communication and less about really pernickety education. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not seen as this thing that you have to do. It's seen as something that is to be cherished and really appreciated when you're in, when you're able to speak it, mm. as opposed to in school when you have to learn it. And if you get one shavy wrong or if you miss a letter somewhere, you lose five marks, you know. So it's just mm. really, I mean, I really do love Irish and I know that it's kind of sacrilege to use this phrase on this show, but what the phrase way that it's... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But it is, honestly, I mean, not so much the way that it's taught, but the more, the more, the mindset that is fostered Mm -hmm. really isn't conducive to good learning and it's not conducive to positivity around the language and people don't want to use it because they're terrified of it. Whereas in college, you're really encouraged to use whatever Irish you have and it's really appreciated and you don't get screamed at for missing a shavu. So would highly recommend 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I think one of the things about the way people speak in general in Ireland, whether it's in Irish or English, is in order to know where all the shavus and arus be sticking, um, you kind of need to know exactly how the sentence is going to end. And people don't speak like that. Mm-hmm. People start the sentences and they decide what they're saying as they talk. Mm-hmm which obviously isn't very conducive to correct shavu use. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think that's definitely an issue. And I think really people could be less pernickety, really, when it comes to art. I think it's fantastic to have a really, really good command of the language in a grammatical sense. But to have fluency in the language is arguably more effective for the Irish language going forwards, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, because realistically, you know, you're not really going to care that much if somebody makes one grammar mistake. Like hypothetically, mm. if a tourist came up to you on the street and said, hello, I is lost, you're not just going to say, oh, sorry, Paul, can't give you directions. Use the wrong form of that verb. <laughs> so why do we do it for Irish? Some years ago, I was in Pierce Street Station and these Italians, they came up to an older couple who were sitting next to me first. And they said, are we on the right platform for uh, Don Laghi Yahare? <laughs> and the uh, elf fellow was like, don't like you, Harry. You, <laughs> you sure? Is that even on the train station? They were looking at each other like it was the strangest thing. And obviously, we all know he was trying to say Dunleary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, obviously, he should have he should have got it right. Dunleary. Mm. <laughs> How could you possibly mispronounce God, I know, your it's word? Phonetic. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly phonetic. <laughs> but I completely agree. It would be nice if I'm sure you have um, when using Irish on Twitter or other social networking forums. You may have found that some people have helpfully volunteered to uh, correct your grammar or... Oh, yes, all the time or... Free of charge too. Exactly. It's fantastic. Join Twitter, everybody. But (laughs) (laughs) it's, yeah, no, I think there's definitely, I don't know, without meaning to sound too kind of derogatory, there is a particular kind of Gwelgor who is obsessed with perfection in the language and believes Mm. that perfection holds the key to good communication and... Ultimately, that isn't true. You know, ultimately, what we really need for language in the future in general, not just Irish, but for other languages around the world, other minority Mm. languages, is to ensure their usage and Mm. by encouraging communication, much more so than really specific points of grammar that arguably don't make too much of a difference. I mean, there are times when you can be speaking Irish and you don't notice a shavu or an uru coming in just because you're speaking so quickly. But Mm. um, yeah, no, it's definitely an issue, I think. And um, it doesn't occur so much in universities, which is fantastic. But by then it's too late because people have already given up on Irish when mm-hmm. they come to secondary school. So it's a shame. That's a shame. Tell us more about when you started, when you decided you, you're doing Irish, you go on to Trinity, you sit down in that class the first time, maybe someone speaks Irish to you. What was that like in terms of the, the moment? When did you realise it's completely different to some school? I think it was really when we would converse in Irish in class and it wasn't seen as a weird thing mm. or at certain come and go like events. I only went to a few, like I wasn't too involved, but like at certain events, everybody would be speaking through Irish and it was completely normal. And there wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be perfect Irish, but it would be very fluent Irish, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. So in that sense, I think that's when I realised how different it was and how much better it was because, you know, really in school, you were taught such kind of academic Irish as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I had a kind of a moment when I was in the Gweltocks in first year because we have to go to the Gweltocks for a certain period of time, mm-hmm. which is absolutely fair. First year university. Yes, exactly. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so it's completely different from first year in school. Going to yeah, exactly. No, it really, really is. You have so much more freedom and everything else. Mm-hmm. But when I was in the Gweltocks, I remember the Bananti asked me, or what, La and I didn't know how to say yes. I Like, we'd never actually been sat down and taught 
this is how you say yes by using the verb, using the first person version mm. of the verb, you know, on Yaki to the Andesco, Niyaki or Kui. Yeah. We were never taught that. We were never actually sat down and taught, this is how you do this. But yeah, we could recite Gavin word for word or talk about <laughs> Moira's mm. struggles in Ontario, prattle on about that. But what use was that, really, you know? And leaving the chip pan on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we knew the Irish for chip pan, that was... Yeah, when I was 13 and I went to have the Gaelic for the first time, I remember I actually I'd studied Irish all through primary school and I hadn't heard the word sha once. Really? I was like, hey, what's this? Oh, God, that's pretty handy. So it's not always taught. No, because obviously taught means it is. Mm-hmm. And this is sometimes an issue that every time there's a referendum, someone says, well, actually, you're not saying oh, yes. Oh, I know. You're saying I know. it is. And, oh, here we go. Let's mm-hmm. bring it on, lads. Exactly. And I think, you know, it is actually quite scary that like all the way through, actually all the way through my primary school experience, we were taught that ta mm. and cha both mean yes. And then it was only in sixth class we had one teacher, a substitute teacher as well. It wasn't even a, no, that's mean. Actually, no, she wasn't actually, I did not mean it like that. <laughs> Would you like us to cut that out? I think so, maybe, because my dad is a primary school teacher. So he <laughs> might listen to that and be like, Clara, what are Shout those? out Mr. McGinley. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, he'll love that. But yeah, definitely, it's it's not taught wrong as such. So it is mm-hmm. definitely one way to say yes. But I find it amazing that we were never taught how to actually say yes correctly, if that makes sense. I you think know? so. Um, yeah, I can see that because there's, there's definitely oversights. And I think there's... The big thing for me is that people want the Irish syllabus to be different things mm-hmm. and those different things contradict each other. They're, they're rival products. As we say in economics, they can get one more when you get less of the other. If I could wave a magic wand, I'd have Irish as two or possibly three subjects in the leaving. You can choose which kind of Irish you want to study, whether you want to do lots of poetry, mythology, or whether you want to do something like civics where it's, you, you're dealing with government services or government agencies through the Irish language. Or maybe something else that's almost like classical studies type module. And then people could decide what kind of Irish they found most bearable or most thrilling, and possibly even do two. And maybe that would be better than just trying to get one syllabus that suits everybody. That would be a hell of a lot more effective. It really, really would. And I think as well that, you know, when it comes to things like literature and poetry, and they're, well, poetry is a part of literature, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to stuff like that, even through English, they're not always the popular choices. And a lot of the time they're not because nowadays they're kind of, I suppose, they're not really encouraged in terms Mm -hmm. of finding a job in the future and everything else. You know, STEM subjects are far more encouraged. So I think if Irish was made relevant again through what you were saying, by Mm -hmm. being able to choose how you learn it and what you learn it for, Mm -hmm. it would be a far bigger incentive to really try with Irish because there is so much to be said for having fluent Irish. There's so much that you can do within, you know, within the EU, within Ireland itself. And there is a major lack of fluent Irish speakers to do all that. So, mm-hmm. you know. There is. And there's definitely gaps there. And uh, the the Brussels Gale talked. I'm hoping to do a uh, interview some of those lads soon. Cause yeah. it's, uh, it's very And they're all very into speaking Irish all the time because I think one of the things about minority languages in general, the ones that seem to do quite well or are holding their own, not that, in fairness, Irish is actually one of the ones that's doing quite well. But in other places... There's, like, say, in Flemish, there's no, it's not one language it's competing with. It's possibly competing with two languages. And because of that, there's situations when it's the easiest thing to speak. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's that's most people who speak Irish also speak English. It's rare enough you're going to have two Irish speakers, one of whom doesn't have very good English. Yeah, no, English is definitely the lingua franca among most people. 
We'll be right back after this message. Words to That Effect is a literary podcast of the intriguing, the curious, and the unexplored. The show is about culture, history, science, and more, but it's all linked together with literature. Basically, I try to answer the sort of questions you probably didn't know you had, like, why do aliens always land in New York and never in Dublin? Why did the creator of Sherlock Holmes, the most rational detective of them all, believe in fairies and ghosts? Where do zombies come from and why have they taken over popular culture? These are the questions you now desperately need the answers to. Excellent. Words to that effect is for you. The show is the latest addition to the Headstuff Podcast Network. Episodes are out every fortnight and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter, Facebook and at WTTEpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. Claude, tell me a piece of writing or literature that you've discovered in university that you never would have come across in school as a piece of Irish that really opened your mind to things or that just even delighted you? It'll probably be something like Kurt and Vonnie here or something. Oh, oh Kurt and Vonnie, yeah. I wouldn't say it delighted me as such, but it was definitely interesting just to see how, you know, how many different facets there are to Irish literature because, I mean, that's mm-hmm. quite comical, you know, yeah. and it is, it's somewhat satirical, I suppose, in a way. You know, it is, and it, even though it, it it clearly references the Ashling genre, yeah. it, it you don't need to be very familiar with that genre to actually fully appreciate it, enjoy it. It stands up very well on its own. It's a shame Merriman didn't give us many more works like that. I know, I know. Yeah, no, it is. It's definitely worth reading, and I think. So, for those of us at home who may not be familiar with this work, can you give us a quick overview? Chris and Vanika, as you said, it's a kind of a poem in the Ashling form, and it's about this bachelor who he has this dream, basically, where he's being held on trial, I suppose, at this kind of court. And um, it's quite a feminist poem, I suppose, because it is very much in favour of women who can't find a man to marry or men who won't settle down. And at the end of the poem, he is forced to, he's pulled away, basically, by this kind of hag I guess of a woman that's kind of the only English translation I can think of in my head and then he wakes up and realises it was all a dream and everything else but it is very much in favour of women and it's a commentary of that whole era and how society was at that time I suppose Mm. Um, but I would definitely recommend reading it even if you read it alongside the English translation it's entertaining I mean I actually laughed at parts of it so um, laughing out loud in university. Lol, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the Irish for LOL is Gor Osard, G-O-A. And before we wrap up, Claudia, would you like to tell us your favourite and least favourite Irish word? I'm not sure if I can think of one Irish word, but one of my favourite Irish phrases is Mikhildich, which is a way of saying I love you. Mm. And I think that's a really gorgeous expression. I think it's really, it's very, very specific to the Irish language, I think. You know, you would mm. not get that kind of I suppose in a way visceral phrase, you know, it's a mixture of all those different senses and everything in three words. And I think that's really incredible. It is, and it's obviously the actual combination of syllables as well as the my music to you almost. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. Exactly. And do you have a least favourite? My least favourite? I don't think I do, honestly. I think there are certain kind of forms of words that I wouldn't enjoy using. I mean, you know, to be very blunt about it, using the Tishogenadoc can be a pain in the bum sometimes. Let's be real about it. You lie. 
<laughs> no, I love it. I absolutely adore it. No, I don't think I really have a least favourite word, to be honest. My least favourite phrase or term in Irish is the Irish for a gas chamber is a shomer gosh. Oh, God. It's terrible because, first of all, gas chamber is a horrible, serious thing from history. And shomer and gosh are two of these words we know from childhood. Like, obviously, it's hard to separate our hearing the word shomer from shomeranga, shomerculta. Mm-hmm. Kind of the first words you hear in, in, in Irish when you're in primary school. And obviously, gosh is just so familiar from board gosh. So combining these two extremely familiar words for something as horrific as that. Yeah, it doesn't sit well it's very in discordant. the mind. Yeah. I think we should probably just take the German phrase directly into Irish instead of actually... Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is one word that I can think of now. Oh. The word for zoo. Z-U, father. Zoo. It's deplorable. It's not great. It's horrific. And there was such a gorgeous phrase that existed already. Guardian Nahamba. The animal garden. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's really stunning. And it's really... You know, it's such an image as opposed to just a direct translation of a word. And to be honest, even then, it's not the word zoo, Zedifada, is not a translation. It is just sheer laziness, like car for Glushton. I'm going to defend car. Fair. Okay. First of all, Glushton, I have no problem with Glushton. The One of the interesting things about car is that the word, the terminology exists in Irish before actual cars were invented. And the actual Latin root word, carus, comes from a Celtic loanword for chariots. Oh, wow. So it goes all the way back. If you dig deep enough, it actually does go all the way back. So I'm giving car a pass. Well, you know, you've changed my mind. (laughs) I'm enlightened. I like the word car now. I think it's great. Great stuff. So, Claudia McKinley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Do you want to give anyone a shout out? My dad, Mr. McKinley, obviously, because we were talking about teachers. (laughs) I give my mom a shout out as well because she'll be upset if I don't. (laughs) Um, Hello, Mr. and Mrs. McKinley. Thank yes, you for listening. Miss Birmingham. Miss Birmingham. Oh, Miss Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. McGinley and Miss Birmingham. Thank yeah. you both very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. If you've enjoyed this show, please like, share, and subscribe. Please do give ratings on iTunes or Apple Music. Good ratings and writing reviews is a good way to actually bump us up and let other people find the show. And thank you very much to Brian for producing us today. Thank you, Kirsten Shield, for doing the artwork for today's show. And all the gang had stuff for letting me continue to bring the show to you. We will see you next time. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. In beautiful downtown Dublin. (laughs) (laughs) How's the sound? Cool.